When Allie was in elementary school, she kept a diary, and she wrote about all kinds of stuff, including boys. And for people who can't see me, I am gayer than Christmas. (laughs) Dear diary, all the boys at school are stupid and dumb and especially ugly Love Allie. Okay, and stupid? The word stupid is spelled S-T-U-P-I-T. That's Allie reading from the diary she kept when she was in grade three. And this, well, this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. I'm Dan Meisner. Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Brave adults get up on stage in front of a room full of strangers to share the weird and wonderful things they created when they were young. This time, recorded live at the Spice Factory in Hamilton, Ontario, we have a traumatizing game of Spin the Bottle, some solid advice from a third grader, and we learn what New York City is really like. This stuff is angsty and awkward and cute, and in some cases, it can shed light on who we are today. So think about the stuff you wrote when you were a kid, and stick around. Off the top of the show, we heard from Allie. She thought all the boys at school were stupid, dumb, and ugly. Well, boys were not the only thing Allie wrote about. Here she is on stage in Hamilton reading a few more selections from her childhood diary. Dear Diary, now I am in grade three. I am so big now because I'm in grade three, not in grade two, and not in grade one. I got a lot of diarrhea at camp this summer. Love, Allie. Um, so I had a canopy bed. Did you guys have a canopy bed? So it was like gold, like brassy, and I masturbated in there a lot, and it was really squeaky. And my parents, I found out a little later on, they uh, talked to me about it. Anyway. Dear Diary, my bed squeaks a lot. I think it must be broken. I've tried to fix it, but it's still broken. I think it probably squeaks because the person who built it did not do a good job. My dad said that he would try to fix it, but I'll try to fix it first. I really like my bed. Love, Allie. Dear Diary, Amy is so bossy. She sometimes kicks us but I'm not afraid of her. And if she keeps kicking and pushing and bossing us around, she won't have any friends left. Anyway, I want to hit her where she wears her bathing suit. (laughs) Love, Allie. (laughs) Now the tears. Dear diary, sometimes if I'm crying somewhere and if my mom's with my little sister, I feel really alone. I always get blamed for everything, and I hate it. Love, Allie. Happy face. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. (laughs) I just got a couple more here. 
Dear diary, for Hanukkah, Booby got me a drum. I play it a lot. I love my drum so much. But I'm only allowed to play it when I'm in my room with the door shut. Love, Allie. <laughs> Dear diary, I have a rabbit's foot and it really works. People give me things. Love, Allie. <laughs> I think you got one more here. Dear diary, I really love my mom. She told me that she loves me no matter what, and I love her. Zadie said I look like a boy. Love, Allie. <laughs> Today, Allie works in children's television. For years, she was Mama Yama, and she plays Jay the Blue Jay on TV Ontario. After our live show in Hamilton, Allie called in to reflect on staying in touch with your younger self. Um, I think a lot about how awesome but also hard it is to be a kid because you just are your emotions instead of seeing them with any kind of separation or perspective, and you're just swimming around in thoughts and and feelings and trying to figure out stuff. Um, When we're little, I think we're unconsciously just super honest. We can't help it. And because we haven't had decades of challenges up against our characters, making us doubt ourselves or push us down yet. And I think it's awesome to try and look back and try to reconnect with the raw, honest emotion or joy like the creative, expressive parts of us that kids have until somebody hurts them enough to, for you know, them to think otherwise. It helps me remember that kids really do live in magic land and that that floating, weirdo, eccentric energy, to me, is what keeps us all happy and colorful and connecting to each other. And so those are the conversations I'm interested to keep on having. When Jeff was 18, he took a bus trip to New York City, and it did not go well. I, I ended up uh, being robbed, <laughs> and it wasn't a very good experience. So I came home, and I thought, you know, to, to assuage all these terrible feelings inside me, I would create this piece of art <laughs> that expressed my feelings about my trip to New York City. Now, just as a heads up, Jeff's reading does include a cuss word, and we do not bleep that cuss word. Okay, that's your heads up. Here's Jeff. November the 5th, 1983. New York is like going to a dinner party, large, lots of people, formal, having a bottle of wine, and then taken into another room by four men. (laughs) And beaten. (laughs) With a two by four. (laughs) New York City is like waking up in the middle of the night by a phone call telling you good news and then flashing to the reality of a cold tile 
bathroom floor. Which you're face down on crying. <laughs> New York City is like having an orgasm and then realizing you were fucking a goat. Thank you. You will be glad to know that Jeff has since visited New York a number of times. He likes it a lot better now. If you watch pretty much any movie aimed at teenagers, there's a fairly good chance that the climax of the plot will take place at a high school dance. The high school dance is the epicenter of teen drama. It's where the ugly duckling emerges as a beautiful swan. It's where prom kings and queens are crowned. It's where Marty McFly helps his dad rescue his mom in the parking lot. Of course, that's the movies. But as we're about to hear, high school dances also form the backdrop for a lot of real-life teen drama. When our next reader, Leanne, was in grade 8, she kept a diary, and a number of her entries focus on what happened immediately before, during, and shortly after dances. A quick heads up, Leanne wrote this next entry when she was a teenager, and she uses some teenage mean girl words. Okay, here's Leanne. Dear Diary, Hi, I have no boyfriend. It annoys me. Here are the numerous couples my age. Jan and Randy, Karen and Todd, Marlene and Greg, Debbie and Ronald, Lisa and Chris, Sherry and Neil, Mark and Carolyn, Terry and Doug, a weird 12th grader, Nancy and Jody, Kelly and Sheldon, Karen and Graham, Ann and Brad, Debbie and Sean, Jill and Derek, Wanda and Gary. Well, sort of. See, for months, Gary was going with Christy. Then one night, he went with Wanda. There was a dance on Friday, and the whole week he told Wanda he was going with her and that he was going to break up with Christy. Then on Friday afternoon, he asked Christy out and decided not to go with Wanda. Wanda was real mad, and so was I. I got ten times as mad at the dance. Here's what happened. We got there, and Wanda seemed upset. I was talking to them, and I said... I was talking to Gary, and he said he was going home. He wasn't going with either of them. Then, this was so annoying, he asked out, Dana Welsh, I could have screamed. So I went up to talk to Debbie while she was sitting by him. Me, what's your problem? Gary, what? Me, well, Christy and Wanda both thought they were going out with you tonight. You come up here, break up with them, and go out with Dana. Male slut. Debbie gave me a surprise look, and I said, he is Gary, surprise look. Me, you don't even know her. What's her last name? Gary, shrug. Me, walk away. They hadn't even met until that night. Anyway, then I felt bad, so I decided to apologize. Me, Gary, I'm sorry, I called you a slut. Gary, nod. Me, I was upset, but it was none of my business. Gary, nod. I leave. Later. Me, you're not mad at me, are you? Gary, shakes head. Me, you're sure? I really am sorry. Gary, nod. The next night, he asked out Karen Goss. I have to admit, he really is a bit of a slut. 
Then on Monday, he said he wasn't going out with Dana anymore. I was pleased. I have to say, I think I got mad because I was jealous. I think I like Gary. <laughs> Signed, the only non-Catholic nun, not by choice, Leanne. Leanne was not the only reader at our Hamilton show who read about a school dance. When Mike was 14, he wrote a journal entry all about one of his high school dances. Now, I should probably mention, Mike went to a performing arts high school. Lots of theater, lots of dance, and he took writing very, very seriously. Here's Mike. The air is filled with moist, dark air and steaming red light. The floor is crowded with bodies, moving in motion. (laughs) Voices speak, flesh to flesh, mind to mind. All joined by music, so often called the food of love. I cut through the writhing bodies and approach Amanda for a dance. As the music slows, she is soon in my arms. Fifteen years of sweaty, gum-chewing beauty. I feel her warm, damp flesh against my body. We move in slow circles to the music. In our circles of loneliness, she reaches for a kiss. I respond. There is a... There is a vicious clash of mouth and tongue. Of, of lip-glossed lips and spearmint, our bodies are together. For one brief moment of magic, we are the only ones in the room full of hundreds, and a few lucky others are also along. <clears throat> but our solitude is brief. The song is brief. She loosens her grip around my waist, but I cannot loosen mine. She stares at me, and I relent. No smiles, no parting kiss, no holding hands. She starts to walk away. I am more alone than I will ever be. Affectionately, I slap her ass. And she smiles. And I am saved. Thank you for your time. The social scientist B.J. Fogg says that one of the core motivators in life is social acceptance. Humans seek social acceptance and we avoid social rejection. In other words, we want to fit in. And I think that's one of the fundamental tensions of growing up. Yes, we want to fit in, but at the same time, we want to stand out at least a little bit. We want to figure out that thing that makes us unique and special. When our next reader, Erin, was nine years old, she desperately wanted that thing, something that would set her apart. And in her school journal, she wrote about the great sorrow and pain she felt about not having a special talent. Here's Erin. September 6th. I am good at stilts. (laughs) 
On Saturday, my family went hiking on Mount Snow. I was very tired when we came home. Too tired for stilts. But I didn't know. I got on my stilts and went up the driveway. Lisa was at my house at the time, and when I slipped on the dirt, Lisa slipped too. That's how I got a fat lip. The very next day, Buttercup died. It was my hamster. I don't think it was related, but I don't know. The next ten entries are details about new hamsters I got and how I killed them. Basically, a hamster obituary, this thing. Okay. November 15th. I am not feeling very good. Nor did I feel good days before. For I cannot tell anyone my troubles except Rikiki. He is my monkey. He is not real. My problem is one main thing. I have no special thing or talent. First, I tried one, being a good drawer. Now that did work, but everyone just says cool or nice. And turns away and looks at Chad's and says, wow, everyone, come look. Or Mrs. Dodge, look. Or Chad, you're such an artist. I wish someone would banish him somewhere far off. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just a little jealous. The second and last try was to get a hamster. (laughs) That did not work. When Andrew was in grade three, his class created a newspaper. Andrew's assignment was the advice column. Here he is on stage in Hamilton reading Advice by AJ. This is the actual newspaper. It's a news date by room 12. Uh, This is grade three for me, which would be 1995. And you'll see that when you're in, you know, grade three, your set of problems are a lot different than today, but somewhat similar as well. Advice by AJ. Dear AJ, when I take my hamsters out of their cage, (laughs) they escape from my hands and I cannot catch them. What can I do? From Tired in Hamilton. (laughs) I write back, Dear Tired in Hamilton, You shouldn't take your hamsters out of the cage. (laughs) Dear AJ, my friends never play with me because they think I'm not cool. What should I do? From sad. Dear sad, you should find another friend and play with them instead. Dear AJ, my friends always make fun of me because my sister always follows me everywhere. What should I do? From mad. 
Dear Mad, you should tell your sister not to follow you, and if she doesn't listen, tell your mom and dad. <laughs> Thank you. I have a sneaking suspicion that Tired in Hamilton is actually Aaron. <laughs> Can we get a fact checker on that? One of the most common themes at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is young love, probably because it's such a universal experience, navigating feelings that are both very strong and very new. When our next reader, Shannon, was 13, she learned a little something about unrequited love. I realized today that I will never have Prince William or Harry as my husband. <laughs> or that Prince William or Harry will even love me or say they love me. Or that they'll even have a crush on me. Or that they'll even know who I am. Oh well, they're hot though. When it comes to love and romance, our next reader, Hero, also felt a complicated mix of teenage emotions, and she brought along a variety of supporting materials to prove it. Here's Hero reading some song lyrics and a diary entry, both written in grade eight. So this is a song. I'm not sure how it goes anymore. I'm sorry. But these are the words. If you looked at me now, I'd hide my feelings away. I'd make sure that you weren't able to say, aha, I've made her cry or see that look in her eye. She's in love. I couldn't face you if you knew. Sometimes I wish that you did know all the things that I've hid in a way. But I, but I won't let you see what your smile means to me. I'm in love. Okay, so this is a diary entry from that same semi-same time period. Um, it's just after grade eight, the summer after grade eight. Dear diary. I went to Maggie's party tonight. It was a 60s party, and I went as a hippie chick. Maggie did my makeup in her room before the party. She is so good at makeup. She is so pretty. I looked pretty good, too, but I wish my inner thighs weren't so fat. <laughs> I have to write this. We played spin the bottle, slash two minutes in the closet. And on my turn, Maggie made the bottle go to Steve, which was so sweet because he looked really cute. But then we went into the closet and kissed. And it was kind of nice. But then he stuck his tongue into my mouth really hard and moved it around against my teeth and kind of put it way down into my throat. And it was so, 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 so gross and huge. Like when Kelly's grandmother made us eat squid, only moving. It 
It was so, so gross. Ew, 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 ew. In 1993, there was a movie called The Nightmare Before Christmas by Tim Burton. Now, if you're not familiar, it's sort of a holiday crossover film that combines Halloween and Christmas. Well, it turns out Tim Burton was not the only one thinking along those lines. When Adam was in grade four, he wrote his very own Halloween Christmas holiday mashup entitled The Pumpkin's Xmas. Here's Adam. The Pumpkin's Xmas. There was a pumpkin named Marvin who lived with his family in an abandoned barn. What's making these children so happy? They all wondered as the whole family was looking out their giant window in the bedroom. (laughs) The pumpkin family overheard the children singing, It's Christmas! The pumpkins looked at each other in a puzzled way. Christmas! What's that? They asked each other. Then Marvin replied, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Then Marvin left. (laughs) As Marvin started his quest, he thought, who would know about Christmas? I know, the kids would know about Christmas. (laughs) Then he left for the children's houses, but of course they weren't at home. Going back to his backyard, he found one child and asked him, what's Christmas? The child answered, that's easy. It's presents. (laughs) Marvin thought that was a silly answer. Marvin saw a tree. He asked the tree the same question. (laughs) And the tree said, oh, it's decorations. Marvin didn't think that was right either. His family was waiting three hours, and there was no sign of Marvin. So his family left to find him. Marvin's family finally found him, frozen to death under a tree. As his family stared at Marvin's frozen face, they realized the true meaning of Christmas and returned home. Later, Marvin's parents sat down to eat a big Christmas pie. Why does this happen every year, asked Mother Pumpkin. Marvin's dad raised his glass and said, the true meaning of Christmas is family and good food. He then ate his piece of pie. Then Mother Pumpkin cried. Suddenly, Santa Claus came down the chimney and said, Ho, 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 I've got a surprise for you. Santa pointed to Mother Pumpkin's belly. I'm pregnant? (laughs) Asked Mother Pumpkin. God bless us, everyone. (laughs) Said Santa. Father turned to Mother Pumpkin and said, 
Pass me another slice of our son, will you? <laughs> the end. Oh. Too many Christmas. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Spice Factory in Hamilton, Ontario. Our music is by Poddington Bear. If you want to find out when we are coming to your town for a live show, sign up for our email newsletter at grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com. Or, even easier, just look at your device right now. We have a link right there in the show notes to this episode. We also have links to our full events calendar, where you can find out how to be part of our upcoming shows in Victoria, Vancouver, Toronto, Windsor, and Detroit. And if you are an iPhone or an iTunes person, we would really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating or review of this show. There is a direct link to do just that in the show notes on your device. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.